And now here's another timely yet timeless word from the Word of God from one of our services at First Baptist Church of Crawfordville. A messenger at a photo lab was leaving the building one day and his beeper went off. This was the days of beeper. How many ever had a beeper? I remember the first time I had a beeper, I didn't know that it vibrated. So when it vibrated, it scared me to death. I thought it just beeped. You know, this is back in, I don't know, the early 90s or whatever. Anyway, this guy, his beeper goes off, and the message instructed him to pick up a package at an unfamiliar company. It had like a 12-syllable name that was just uh, nearly impossible to say. And so, you know, the messenger, he looks skyward, and he just kind of sighs, God, where am I supposed to go? And all of a sudden, the beeper goes off again, and he looks, and the address is there. And he goes, oh, God, thank you. Well, a man nearby witnessed a scene. And raising his arms to heaven, he says, why did you ever answer me like that? You ever felt that way? All of us who are Christians have struggled with the problem of unanswered prayer. In fact, the problem can discourage us so much that we start thinking, what's the use? Why even do it? We can quit praying. We hear stories uh, of, of answered prayers from others, but for us it just doesn't seem to work. And sometimes we may try again, right? But we're like boys who ring the doorbell and run away. They don't stick around long enough to find out if God is even at home or if he's going to answer our request. Now, Jesus is responding to the request of an unnamed disciple. One of them said, Lord, teach us to pray. Well, in verses 2 through 4, he gives us the pattern uh, for prayer. We are to pray for the Father, to the Father, about his concerns, and we're to pray for uh, the family's needs. And now today, we're looking at 5 through 10, uh, where Jesus continues his instruction by really showing us how we should approach God in prayer. And with that in mind, let's just go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we are grateful once again for an opportunity to look into your word. We understand that we need your spirit to speak truth into our hearts. And uh, God, your word carries with it that power. So speak that truth. Help us to hear it. Give us that persistence that we need in prayer. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Now, if you live in a country with a sovereign monarch, you just don't pop in on the king and say, hey, king, how's this going? Right? Do you have protocols? Uh, If you have an interview with the king, you have to have some coaching on what to say and do and what to not say and do, right? You need to know what social courtesies are expected in the presence of the king. In some countries, if you disobey these, you could lose your head. Well, when you come before the king of kings, you need some coaching about how to do it. Now, some may think that because God is sovereign and holy, that perhaps we shouldn't bother him with our petty needs. Or perhaps we should come apologetically and and timidly, afraid to let him know what is really on our hearts and minds. Maybe once we've let him know what our needs are, we should just back off and not bother God again with it. Well, Jesus shows us how to approach God to receive the things that we need as we seek to do his will. The, the, the whole purpose of this passage is that we should approach God with bold persistence, knowing that as a loving father, he will uh, provide for our spiritual good, whatever that might be. 
Now, the instructions of verses 5 through 10, it assumes the foundational instruction of verses 2 through 4. We must be children of God through the new birth before we can actually address God as Father and approach Him with our needs. So we, we've got to be committed to seeking first his kingdom and his glory so that our prayers are properly motivated and, and directed. Now, our prayer for our needs aren't just for the purpose of making us happy. I pointed at this out last week. It's for the overall aim of seeing the Father's name hallowed and his kingdom brought about on this earth. Now, in this context, Jesus tells us this rather humorous story here, parable in verses 5 through 8, to teach us that we should approach God with boldness as his friend, persisting, okay, until we obtain what we need in order to minister to our friends. And then in verses 9 and 10, he applies it uh, by telling us to keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking until we obtain the answer we need. Now, the strong emphasis, as I said, in this section is on receiving answers to our prayers. The friend at midnight, he didn't go away empty-handed, did he? He got what he came for. Uh, the application emphasizes that, that one who, who keeps seeking, keeps asking, keeps knocking, he will receive what he is after. Now, John Calvin on this passage comments, nothing is better adapted to excite us to prayer than a full conviction that we shall be heard. That's, that's pretty solid. You'll go to God regularly if you, know, if you know and believe that he actually hears you. Now, our Lord wants, to come, wants us to come to the Father and keep on coming until he gives us what we need in order to see his kingdom come. So you approach God with boldness as his friend, persisting until you obtain what you need to minister to your friends. Now, that's the context of this story. And first, we have the story. It's there in verses 5 through 8. It gives us a, 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 just a humorous incident from the culture of Jesus' day. Uh, this guy, he has a traveler drop in on him late at night. We see the term midnight, so, so we know it's late at night. This traveler drops in on him, and the, the, the neighbor has no food to give him. Uh, you, you couldn't run to an all-night uh, supermarket. They didn't have those. They didn't even have refrigeration, no, no refrigerators, freezers, so they didn't have a huge stock of food. So he starts, he goes to his neighbor and starts banging on the door. Now, inside, the family would probably all be sleeping in the same room. They, they might have had a domesticated animal or two in there with them, and this noise would have uh, aroused them as well. And, and, and then he, 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 he's, he the guy, the, the, the second neighbor, he calls out, who is it? And what do you want at this hour? And so the friend, his next door neighbor, he, uh, he explains the need, probably cheerfully. <laughs> He's trying to, you know, uh, soften the blow here a little bit. And the guy inside, he says, stop bothering me. The door is bolted shut. We finally got the kids to sleep. Can anybody say amen? And I don't want to get up and give you anything. Well, um... The friend keeps, what's he do? He keeps on knocking, keeps on asking. Finally, the guy in bed realizes that the best way to get back to sleep is just to get up and give him what he needs. And so he does it. And then Jesus gives us an initial application there in verse 8 before expanding on it more in verses 9 and 10. Apart from the friendship issue, which may be a bit strained at this midnight hour, the host will get what he went for because of his persistent boldness. 
Now the word translated persistence there, it has the idea of shameless boldness. Before we look at the direct application, let's just consider some things about the story. First, it shows that necessity drives bold prayer. Necessity. The host had a need to provide for his friend and he didn't have the resources to meet that need. It's actually an awareness of our great needs and our own lack of resources to meet those needs that drives us to prayer. All too often, at some level, I promise you, you can, you can, uh, you can, what's the right word? Relate, thank you. You can relate to this. Um, we fail to pray because we assume our own sufficiency and competence. What are we doing when we do that? We're relying on ourselves and not God. So just when you think you've got it in hand, uh, he can make your projector not come on. He can knock out the Wi-Fi. Guess what? We stand in need of God every second of every day. So we think that we can get by with just a little boost from God every now and, then, now and again. And that's not his design. The fact is we are really destitute of all physical, mental, and spiritual resources unless God graciously provides them. You think the reason that I had trouble getting that word out of my mouth a minute ago and Debbie had to remind me it's relate. No, that's just God saying take it down a notch. Depend on me. We think we've got it in hand. And most of the time we don't. In every situation, we have to recognize our desperate need and call out to God for help. Second thing I want you to see is that the need in this case was not directly personal, but it was the need of someone else. If the man himself had been hungry, he probably would have waited till the next morning uh, to go wake up his friend and see if he could get something to eat. But the need wasn't his. It was the midnight guest's need that drove this man to his friend's house at this unseemly hour. Now, while we should go boldly to God for help for our own needs, we should keep in mind that the main thrust of the prayer we're looking at this morning is not just to meet our needs, but to further the Father's kingdom. So we're to ask for what we need to meet the needs of others in the name of the Father's business. Well, third, uh, the man already had an established friendship before he went to his neighbor's house at, at midnight. He wasn't just introducing himself for the first time that night. They had a personal relationship that he was acting upon. Now, God is often gracious to introduce himself for the first time in response to a midnight knock at his door. But the time to meet him is before that midnight need. Uh, if you know him as a familiar friend, you're going to feel more comfortable uh, banging on his door at midnight, as it were, in order to get what you need. And fourth, I want you to recognize the difference between the man in bed and God. It's a stark difference. The man in bed was asleep. Guess what? Our God never sleeps, never slumbers. The man in bed didn't want to be disturbed, whereas our Heavenly Father... He doesn't get disturbed by our calling upon him. The midnight request 
probably put a strain on the relationship between the two friends coming at midnight. Whereas our midnight requests, they don't strain our relationship with God one bit. Now Jesus' point is that we should boldly persist in bringing our prayers to God at any hour and in any situation. If a cranky friend responds to this kind of bold persistence, how much more will our loving Heavenly Father respond, respond in kind to our requests? Well, second, I want you to see the application here in verse 9, 20, 9 and 10. Jesus applies the parable by telling the disciples to keep on asking, seeking, and knocking with the promise that if they do, they'll obtain their request. Now, the present imperative move in the mood in the Greek, Greek, it has a nuance of continuous action. Okay, this, this banging on the door and asking, it was persistent. It kept going. So, I don't understand or agree with some well-known commentators who say that the idea is not persistence and that if you have to ask more than once, you're not asking rightly. I think that flies just right in the face of what this parable is communicating with us. Now, I agree that God is not like the neighbor in bed where you have to keep bugging him because he's reluctant to give you what you want. But the fact is, God doesn't always answer our prayer according to our timetable. Can I get another amen? He knows when our faith has been sufficiently tried. He knows when our submission to his will is sufficiently complete so that the time is right for him to grant our requests. Here's how Andrew Murray explains it. If you don't know anything about Andrew Murray, he's an author who has written many books uh, on prayer. And here's what he says about this. Intercession is part of faith's training school. There, our friendship with men and with God is tested, meaning in prayer. There it is seen whether my friendship with the needy is so real that I will take time and sacrifice my rest will go even at midnight and not cease until I have obtained for them what I need. There it is seen whether my, relation, whether my friendship with God is so clear that I can, depend, depend, I can depend on him not to turn me away and therefore pray on until he gives. End of quote. Well, the idea of persistence is reinforced by the, the increasing intensity of the words ask, seek, and knock. Seeking is stronger than asking and knocking is stronger than seeking. Now, although the exact word isn't used in our parable, it relates back to the, the story where the guy is just banging on the, God, the guy's door. It's, it's more than knocking, right? Ask, seek, knock, bang. That's what this guy is doing. He's banging on the door until the guy gets out of bed and gives him what he needs. Now, if we come to realize that our request is not in accord with God's will, or if we get a distinct, I don't know, sense from God that we should stop praying about this issue, then guess what? We should probably stop praying about that issue. Otherwise, we should keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking until God answers. 
Well, a dad, he's got a three-year-old son. He'd just gone through the uh, nighttime uh, bedtime routine of reading a story, listening to his prayers, answering a dozen questions, giving a hug, uh, saying goodnight four or five times before slipping out of the room. Now, finally, after a long, hard day, the dad could relax. So he sits down in his easy chair, and it, it's quiet for about five minutes. And then he hears, Daddy, can I have a drink of water? No, son, be quiet and go to sleep. It's quiet for a couple of minutes when louder than before he heard, Daddy, can I have a drink of water? What are you looking at? Oh, okay, he's got one over there that does that. Says, son, I said to be quiet and go to sleep. And there was silence again, but it didn't last long. Daddy, please, can I have a drink of water? The dad comes to see that he's not really getting anywhere, so he says, son, if I hear one more sound come out of that room, I'm going to spank you. You could hear a pin drop. There was silence, and it was thick for about a minute. And then he heard, daddy, when you come in here to spank me, could you please bring me a drink of water? <laughs> What has the, the dad figured out at this point, at point? The son is really thirsty. Why did he know that? Because of his bold persistence. You know, we all have friends in one way or another that drop in on us at midnight. We don't have the resources that they need. But we have a friend, we have a father in heaven who has plenty to meet their needs. He invites us to disturb him at any hour and to keep on knocking until we obtain what our friends need. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, thank you again just for uh, an opportunity, Lord, to learn from your word. Uh, God, persistence is the key of this parable and uh, you're communicating that to us that, Father, we need to be persistent in our prayers. So give us hearts that would understand that, that would embrace it, and that would do it. Father, uh, do it for your honor, for your glory, and for our good that we might be able to, in some way, uh, help bring in the kingdom of God. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, like, like, I, like I said last week, uh, you know, the key to the prayer is the very first word or second word, our Father uh, in heaven. Do you know God as Father? There's only one way to know Him as Father, and it's not just as the, the bearded guy in the sky. No, we know God as Father through His Son, Jesus Christ. That's the only way. Do you have that relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, so that you can come and not introduce yourself blindly, but because he is your father, because you have put your trust in Jesus Christ and what he has done on the cross. If you haven't done that, today's, today's the day to do that. Paul tells us that today is the day of salvation, and it's simply trusting in Christ Laying aside, we, we don't bring anything to the table. Most, especially in our Western society, most people don't, don't understand that, coming into Christianity. Uh, uh, you know, all of religion worldwide is based on how do you get right with God? What do you do to get right with God? All religion is based on that. Now, Christianity is religion. But we differ in that 
what matters to us is not what we do to get right with God, but what God has done to make us right with himself. And that's the gift of his son, Jesus Christ. You set aside anything that you could bring to the table such that one day you might be caused or, or, or tempted to say, Lord, Lord, did I not do this, do that, do this, do that in your name? And he says, depart from me. I never knew you, you who work lawlessness. You gotta turn away from yourself and turn to God. Ask him to forgive your sins. Through his son, Jesus Christ, he'll do it. He'll make you a child of his. Then you can call out to him, Father, Abba. You need to do that today. Uh, if, if you're a believer and you're walking with the Lord, how many have been persistent in prayer? I, I will tell you this. A lot of people, though they may not be persistent in all parts of prayer, a lot of people are persistent in one form of prayer that's beyond ourselves. We're all, we're all, is there anybody here not persistent in asking God for yourself? We do that pretty well, don't we? But when it comes to others, there's, there's one thing that I can think of that many people, not all believers, but many are praying for somebody's salvation. Be persistent. Keep knocking, keep seeking. Okay, that's what, that's what our little display over here. Um, who's your one? We want to be praying for our one, whoever it is, that God will soften their heart, um, make them amenable to the gospel, so when they hear it, they'll respond and become a child of God. All right? So I just want to encourage you, be persistent in your prayers as believers. Uh, if you'd like to join our church, you can just come up and talk to me. We can stay six foot apart if you want. And uh, we'll see about getting you going with us here at First Baptist. Ruby, would you go ahead and lead us? You guys go ahead and stand. And if the Lord is speaking to you, you come share it with me.
be seated. Uh, it's been about six months since we last participated together in celebrating the Lord's Supper. We did it virtually. I guess it was right around Easter. Travis and I were sitting right here and we did it together and, and we passed out the, uh, the self-contained elements the week before. And so that was, I don't know, we've got to admit that it was a little odd for us doing that. And, and I'm glad that we're able to meet uh, to do this. We hope that you at home, we, we announced it a couple different ways that you did. if you want to participate, uh, we made them available. Uh, let me ask this, does... Um, Anybody not have any? Did anybody sneak in and us not get them to you? The little, the little cups? Anybody? You, you've all got your cups. Go ahead and, and go ahead and, and take them out. Uh, you'll notice it's two-sided. One side has the little wafer. The other side has uh, the juice that represents the cup. Well, Jesus tells us that the bread represents his body, which is for us. The cup is the new covenant in his blood. Now, these elements together represent the cross uh, of Jesus and the price that was paid for our salvation. Now, there are four basic ways that Jesus suffered on the cross in our stead. Uh, first was the physical pain. You just think back. The scourging, the loss of blood, the dehydration, the nails in the hands and the feet. It was so bad that Roman citizens were not allowed to be crucified. Now in Latin, the word for crucifixion, just make those English letters and that's where we get our word excruciating. So first was the physical pain. Second was the bearing of our sin and its guilt. Jesus was sinless. He had never experienced sin, nor the guilt that comes as a result of the sin. On the cross, he bore the sins of all who would ever believe. This is an amassing of sin. As the We think Hitler was bad. It's nothing compared to the sin that Jesus bore on the cross. Third was the abandonment of the Father. You remember what he says? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's quoting Psalm 22, verse 1. You see, God is too pure to look on sin. In those moments of bearing our sin, God turned his face from his son. And Jesus knew it. He had never been alone in that sense before. Fourth, and this is probably the worst. Jesus actually bore the wrath of God against the sin that Jesus took upon himself. The massive sin of all the redeemed were put on Jesus and God poured out his wrath against that sin. Jesus suffered tremendously on our behalf. That's what we commemorate in taking the Lord's Supper. Given the price that was paid for our salvation, Paul tells us that we need to examine ourselves. Don't be hypocritical by partaking in communion while harboring sin in your heart. Confess your sins to God and participate with a clear conscience. Now, you can go ahead and take off the top of the bread part. 
okay? If you want to go ahead and do that. I want to give you an opportunity to talk to God about your sin, <laughs> to come clean before him as it were. I'm going to ask Lincoln if you would just play one verse of nothing but the blood and as Lincoln plays, you pray. Thank you, Lincoln. In 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three, Paul writes, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Father, we are uh, indebted in ways that we don't other understand for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, for the giving of his body that we might live. Jesus, we thank you and we praise you for, for doing the Father's will. God, thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may partake. Now if you just want to turn it over and just open it up a little and have it ready. I got to chew. Paul continues in verse 25. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Uh, Lord Jesus, we thank you for shedding your blood on our behalf. We understand that life is in the blood. And Lord, you gave your life for us on the cross and you shed your blood. We thank you so much that, that Peter calls it precious blood and by that we are, re are, are redeemed. Not with perishable things such as silver and gold, Lord, but with the blood of a lamb, spotless, the, lamb, the blood of Jesus Christ. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen. You may protect it. Paul concludes by saying, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That's what we have done this morning. We've proclaimed the Lord's death. It's a testimony to the one who gave his life for us. Now we were going to close with the, we got it out of order, did we? I didn't even think of it. That's all right. 
Let's go ahead and close. We're going to sing the third verse of At the Cross because that's what communion is focusing on, right? The body and the blood of Jesus. So you guys stand and we'll just close with At the Cross. By drops of grief can Amen. God bless you. Thank you for joining us for this podcast from First Baptist Church of Crawfordville. You can find more information and follow us on Facebook or visit our website, crawfordvillefbc.com.